Hey there, everybody. How you doing? You having a good week? I hope you're having a good week. I think what I'm going to do in this episode is talk to you a little bit about what I promised I would talk about, which was South by Southwest and New York City. Back in uh, the Fame 2 episode, I was talking about how I had gone to New York City on the strength of this demo tape that I had cut by accident, really, and that I also went to South by Southwest. And I also went to another uh, music conference, and I believe it was called Crossroads in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, Okay, so if I'm going to tell you the story about, you know, South by Southwest and Crossroads, um, I would have to start by explaining something to you. And this will take a minute, so just bear with me, okay? Right around the time that Thumper was at its peak, I met a woman who owned a music magazine in my city. And it wasn't a huge magazine, but it was uh, a decent-sized publication. And I met her through my brother, who wrote for the magazine... Now, originally, she needed a drummer for a musical project that she was a part of. Um, It was kind of like an experimental, uh, avant-garde kind of music thing, and she needed a drummer. So she asked me if I would be her drummer. Um, And that was how our relationship started. But it grew from there. And we became really good friends. Um, We remained friends and only friends. We were never more than that we were just good friends and we never crossed that line because I'm the kind of guy who respects women enough to just be friends with them and she's one of those people that was just so interesting to me I mean she was a huge part of my life at that time she was probably my best friend and for many many years too um I could probably do a whole snowflake episode on her. Anyway, um, I I learned a lot of things from her. She was very knowledgeable of the music industry and and how it worked, how how it really worked. And um, one thing I can say about what I learned from her by observing and having discussions with her I mean, numerous discussions about all kinds of different things involving music, particularly in our city. Um, I kind of learned that the people in the music media in my city had a form of power. Okay? And it, it wasn't a big deal or anything like that. But it was a, a form of, of power. It was real power. Um, she and the others in the music media in my city, you know, they had a direct line of communication with uh, the record companies, okay? And they had the power to hand a cassette tape off or or just drop the name of a band to uh, an A&R person from a record company and help get the wheels rolling for a band and 
I have to say that they, they almost never, they almost never did that. And I remember having many discussions with other musicians around the city, you know, at different shows that I was playing or whatever, meeting different musicians. Like, we all kind of understood it was like this huge struggle to get noticed out of Cleveland. I realized that it's a struggle for any band in any city to advance their career, okay? It's, it's difficult to do, but in the city of Cleveland, it was particularly difficult. I would say that most of the time, it seemed almost impossible, impossible to make it out of the city of Cleveland. Not just unlikely or not probable. It was not possible. It seemed like almost as if, almost as if the deck was stacked against the bands that were in the city of Cleveland. Okay? And I suppose one could argue that, you know, simply, you know, the the quality or maybe the, the talent wasn't there. Okay? And that may have been the case most of the time. But having said that, I do have to say that I really did feel that part of her responsibility, part of her job was to be the liaison between bands and record labels. I mean, that was part of her job and part of their job as a collective to be the scouts for record companies. But there were a handful of bands in the city that really deserved to get that kind of push. And the people of the music media that were in the city that I knew seemed like they weren't really willing to spend their capital on just any band. And, you know, they were selective, and I understand that. But in my opinion, I kind of feel that they were too selective, that they could have been a lot more helpful to the bands in the city that were trying to make it out. And, you know, they almost never, almost never were willing to do that. Now, that wasn't the case all the time. There was one band that got that kind of push out of the city, and they were called Screw Tractor. And Screw Tractor signed a deal with MCA Records. And it was a big deal in the city at the time because there was this drought of year after year, you know, decades practically, of unsigned talent, you know, unrecognized talent. And and all of a sudden there was one and it was Screw Tractor. They had gone all the way. I mean, they were on MTV. Uh, Beavis and Butthead were, you know, critiquing their video on MTV. I mean, it was like they really had gone all the way. Or at least further than 
any of the bands from our city had gone up until that point. Now, correction, it is true that Nine Inch Nails did make it out of the city of Cleveland. But as far as I know, my very limited understanding of that situation, um, I think Nine Inch Nails had kind of found a way to circumvent the music press in the city of Cleveland and had established a toehold or a foothold on their careers um, on their own without any real help from the, the music media in the city. So anyway, back to Screw Tractor signing their deal. Uh, this friend of mine was a part of that process. She was instrumental and getting them to MCA records and, you know, helping them get label interest and, you know, eventually signing a deal. But she wasn't going to do that for just anybody, okay? And that included me. Any help that I was going to get from her would come in the form of, like, advice, uh, pointing me in the right direction, okay? Or... Uh, getting invited to South by Southwest or Crossroads, the other uh, convention that I was invited to. It was by her. She was helping me out. And I really, really appreciated that help, you know, because I was willing to do the work myself. And it was, it was nice that she was willing to help me out that way. It didn't matter that, uh, you know, she wasn't handing my cassette tape to a record company A&R person or something. It was, it was okay. I loved her anyway. It didn't make any difference to me. We were still friends, and I was still willing to do the work myself. Just wanted to cover that really quick. Now, okay, so we're going to start out in New York City. I'll talk to you a little bit about that first. And, um, you know, there's really not a whole lot to say, really, that I haven't said already. I mean, I was there for business. I was not there for a vacation. So it was like as soon as I got there, I hit the ground running. I did have a woman there that I had befriended. She was a receptionist, actually, at TVT Records. And her and I wound up becoming very close. And uh, she kind of, like, put me up when I was in New York, she was instrumental in getting me around and kind of helping me out that way. Um, She really believed in Pipe Choir. You know, she really believed in what I was doing. And, uh, you know, her and I had talked a lot about my motivation and, you know, what I really wanted and it was just you know she had a really good understanding of where I was coming from and she really believed in me and supported me now she had to work while I was there visiting but she spent as much time with me as she could she was kind of like my guide around the city she kind of like collated everything and organized everything and kind of had it mapped out for me and kind of showed me where I needed to go. Here's where you start. Here's where you end, you know. So it was kind of intimidating a little, you know, to be honest. It was really um, for a guy like me who was from a smaller town, 
than New York City. And, you know, on my own, in a lot of ways, it was it was pretty intimidating. But that was not going to stop me from <laughs> from, you know, capitalizing on as much as I possibly could at that time. There was there was no way that uh, anything like that was going to slow it down. I was pretty motivated. Then that took about a week. I think. Yeah, I think I was in New York for about a week just talking to different record companies, talking to different people. And uh, that all went really smooth because of her. Okay. Now, all of the people that I met and and spoke to about my project were very um, cordial. And um, some of them were, were as excited about what I was doing as I was. Uh, I was treated well by everyone I met and I wasn't condescended Um, and I didn't feel like I was asking for something you know there was a good balance in, in the discussions it wasn't me with my hat out asking for something And I think that all of the people that I spoke to saw potential in what I was doing. And of all the different uh, record companies that I talked to, there were maybe like two or three that seemed really interested. And out of those three, one seemed really interested. And um, I would have to say that that label would have been Atco East West. They seem to be, in my memory, the the ones who were the most excited about Pipe Choir and what I was doing. Um, I would say on average, I would be in an office for probably about uh, a half an hour to an hour, you know, just talking about different aspects of what I had done and different ideas that they would have. So in, in the spirit of, uh, you know, saving time, that's where I'll leave it. But all of the meetings that I had were successful. And they all wanted the same thing from me, which was follow-up material. And all of them were interested in a live showcase of the music. Now, I can tell you a couple of things that stand out to me that I remember uh, vividly. And one of them was <laughs> walking down the street and um, I saw a Heavy D just on this like stoop, just sitting there hanging out. And he was really, for a guy like me, a stranger. And I'm about as white boy as you can get. Uh, trust me. And he was just so gracious and so cool. And we talked for maybe like a half an hour. So it was just really cool. Um, And I remember uh, also going by the World Trade Center um, and there were all these dumpsters with pieces of cement and all that stuff in these dumpsters. And it was because um, there was a bomb that had gone off at the World Trade Center um, just maybe like a couple days before I got there. And uh, it was a big deal when that happened. 
And uh, of course, as time has gone by, um, it's even more significant, you know. Um, but I remember that. I remember being shocked at how much damage there was. And um, it's almost like at this point, kind of like surreal. I mean, whoa, it was pretty weird. Um, and uh, so I'll talk to you a little bit about South by Southwest. Now, South by Southwest was really a good experience for me because um, the energy level was was different and the electricity in the air was different. It wasn't just me walking through a city. It was this whole city full of people that were um, involved in all kinds of aspects of the music industry. I mean, it was just amazing, you know, the panels that they had and the people that were talking and, and you know, just the people I was meeting and the conversations that I was having. It was like, you know, for maybe three or four days or five days or however long it was, I was like talking to people about only what I'm interested in the most, which is music and the music industry. I mean, I love it. I love that stuff. And it was just four or five days of just talking with people that were really intelligent and and really dedicated to their work. And they did interesting work. They had interesting jobs. And, uh, you know, they were shaping the culture of, you know, not just uh, America, but really the world. Think about it. The work that these people were all, you know, collectively generating was really shaping the culture of the planet. And it was fascinating to talk to them and to be um, learning from them and, you know, <laughs> partying with them. I mean, it was really a lot of fun. It was really, for me, almost more important than what I had come there to do which was uh, networking and all that kind of stuff. It, it was actually more interesting to me to just be meeting these people and to be um, just listening to them talk and learning from them. And um, I remember eating dinner at this one restaurant and it was like the nicest restaurant I've ever been in. It was like the best dining experience I've ever uh, had. I know it's kind of weird to talk about it because I'm supposed to be talking about music, but just bear with me because it was really a standout situation. Um, uh, I remember they had like uh, these curtains around our table, okay? And the waiters and waitresses, there were several per table, okay? And they would just appear out of nowhere and, you know, fill your glass. Like if your glass was half empty, they'd fill it and then they'd walk away and they'd disappear. You wouldn't see them. And the food was amazingly great. Uh, I've never been in a restaurant like it before and I've never been in a restaurant like it since. And I don't remember its name, unfortunately, but I remember the experience. And uh, uh, another thing I would, I would mention, another thing I remember... Uh, particularly in that restaurant, but it was just, that's where it kind of just hit me. Um, but I, I had noticed it since I got there, and it was like everywhere we went, 
There are like two cities that I've been to, and I've been to quite a few, um, where the women of the city were just absolutely gorgeous. And Austin, Texas, which is where South by Southwest was, is one of those places. I mean, I don't know what's going on, but the women were freaking gorgeous. And the other city is Windsor, Ontario. I don't know what's going on in Windsor, Ontario, but like every woman there is beautiful. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I remember being in Austin, actually taking a cab back to my hotel room after I went out to dinner with this friend of mine at this restaurant and talking to the cab driver about it. Like I brought it up like, man, the women here are gorgeous. And he's like, man, I know exactly what you're talking about. He's like, I was born and raised here, but I've been all over the place. And it is true. There is something about the women of Austin. They are just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, we're not talking about like nice looking. We're saying like they were models. I mean, even the the woman working at the convenience store, you know, was like gorgeous. I, I don't know. It was just my experience. Not quite sure <laughs> what's in the water in Austin, Texas or whatever it is, but uh, it was confirmed by my cab driver. So make of that whatever you will. But man, wow. I remember also um, right when we got to Austin, um, it was right when the rap singer Easy e had died. I remember that. Uh, hearing about it and being in this room full of people that were all industry people and just hearing their reaction, like um, feeling it like in the room, um, that it was a significant event that he had passed away. I also remember um, meeting this one woman. Her name was Micah. She was from Germany. And she owned a small record label. And just for one reason or another, her and I wound up really kind of hitting it off. And we became fast friends. And we spent a lot of time together while we were there. The friend of mine that I had gone there with was really there on business. So she was kind of taking care of her business. And I had a lot of time to be on my own. So... Uh, Micah and I would both be spending a lot of time together. And um, it was really weird with Micah because um, I had made a return trip to New York about a year after I had gone there the first time. And I'm walking through New York City, just randomly walking through New York City. And I bumped into Micah right on the street and we're both just like freaking out. Like what are the odds of this girl from Berlin and me from Ohio being on this sidewalk right at the same time? It was one of those weird kind of like cosmic things, you know, like no way. And we wound up spending a lot of time together again. We were, we went out and uh, checked out a couple of bands together and uh, I think we saw, um, Black Train Jack together and we saw um, uh, the Dirt Merchants play in New York City and just had a great time but like again like what are the odds of running into this person again it's pretty crazy and that, that kind of stuff has happened in my life like 
I wouldn't say it's happened a lot, but it's happened more than once. And uh, it always kind of freaks me out a little bit. Even now, like when I think about it, it's like, no way. You know, actually, it's unbelievable. But, um, you know, she was interesting in the sense that uh, she was very intelligent and she was very knowledgeable of world events and uh, global politics and those kinds of things. I was kind of like indifferent to that. But I remember it being like a revelation to me. It was like the first time that I ever really talked to somebody who lived in another country like that and uh, had a different view of the world and a different view of America. And it was interesting to talk to her about that, you know. So uh, every time we hooked up, you know, it was uh, not only was it interesting because we were both, you know, taking in all of this music industry stuff together but we were also having these these conversations and and uh she was much more intelligent than i was i mean it was abundantly clear to me which is cool it's always good to meet people who are smarter than you and i remember also uh meeting one of my heroes which was kind of uh unexpected but um i got to meet the producer of all of the Mission UK albums that I loved so much. His name was Tim Palmer. And uh, so I had a chance to talk to him. Um, So that was pretty cool. I remember two things that really stand out to me about South by Southwest. And one of them was watching uh, Matthew Sweet play on the street. He was outside on a stage they had set up out on the street in the middle of this intersection. And there were so many people there. And it was just such a cool environment. I mean, I'm not like the hugest Matthew Sweet fan, but they sounded good. They were playing good. And uh, there was just this huge crowd of people. And they were all just having so much fun. It wasn't just like a normal concert. It was different because people weren't necessarily paying attention to the music per se. It was more of the atmosphere. And it was open air, it was outside, and there was great food, and people were just having so much fun. And there wasn't any fighting or anything like that. It was just a really strong, positive vibe. Uh, So much so that, I mean, I I remember it now. I mean, even all these years later, I still remember it really clearly, that feeling. I remember that more than the actual music or the songs. I I remember that feeling. And then the other thing that I want to talk about, about South by Southwest, was unbelievable, okay? I found myself in this situation. I don't even remember the name of the club that I was at, but I was in this club with this friend of mine who invited me to South by Southwest and a friend of hers that was working for her magazine. And so we arrived at this club before anyone else did. I don't know why. I don't know what we were doing there. The club was open, but nobody had started to show up yet. So we were there early. So I'm standing there in this club, honest to God. And all of a sudden, this dude walks up to me and it's Marilyn Manson. Okay. Before anybody really knew who he was. And so 
I'm in this room talking to Marilyn Manson, having this conversation just like two normal people. You know, he wasn't a celebrity or anything, but it was him. And he was on the rise. And he was there because they were going to be huge. But I didn't know that at the time. So we were like hanging out and like just talking. And behind us, while we're talking, they had a performer on the stage. And, you know, someone was kind of telling me, oh, that's the guy from Heat Miser. And I'm like, you know, Heat Miser, you know, like whatever, you know, talking to Marilyn Manson. Little did I know that it was Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith was performing on the stage right behind me, and there was nobody there except for me, Marilyn Manson, and this guy from the magazine. I'm, I can't even believe it sometimes when I think about it, because I didn't know who Elliot Smith was at the time, had no idea like how great he was going to be, because he is truly one of the greats. I'm a huge Elliot Smith fan now, but I just... I wasn't paying attention. And this guy was right behind me, probably about 20 feet away from me, sitting there with a guitar, singing and playing, no one paying any attention to him. True story. Like, freaks me out to even think about it. If I would have known, if I would have only known. But, you know, like I said, hindsight is 2020 vision. Whew. So, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of my South by Southwest stories that I wanted to share with you. Um, let me see. Okay, and I, I mentioned Crossroads, so I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Crossroads was was cool. It was smaller than South by Southwest. But um, I have to say this about Memphis, Tennessee. There is a lot to see there. There's a lot to do. Particularly on Beale Street. It's a very famous street. A lot of blues clubs are there. Um, I think Sun Studios is nearby there. And that was, of course, for me, a huge, huge thing to go to Sun Studios. And, you know, what's funny about that to me is like, I mean, it was cool that Elvis recorded there and everything. I get it. I understand the history and trust me, I honor it. I really do. But like for me going to Sun, for me going to Sun Studios was really about how you two had recorded there. <laughs> you know, like that was really important to me. That I walked into the room and actually sat down behind the drum set that Larry Mullen Jr. had used in Rattle and Hum. You know, like this was like a major event for me. Because uh Larry Mullen Jr. is probably my favorite drummer of all time. I just think he's the greatest drummer. Now, I can feel people rolling their eyes. You know, I can feel the cringing from me saying that. But, hey, it's my opinion. But I'm telling you, I can argue it. He's really good. And, um... Like I said, it was like such a trip to walk into this. Oh my gosh, the drum set is here. You know, no way. Take my picture. You know what I mean? This is before selfies, you know, and cell phones. So it was pretty, pretty rad. I got to say it was. (laughs) Uh, Now, I do have a picture. I won't share it, but it was one of those fate kind of things. You know, I'm sitting behind this drum set, freaking out. 
and just, you know, I couldn't believe it. And standing about 10 feet in front of me is like one of the greatest photographers, you know, um, and she's snapping pictures of me while I'm sitting behind this drum set. So, uh, I, I do have a picture of me sitting behind that drum set, but, uh, I won't share it because I haven't asked permission to share the picture. Um, but I do have a picture of me sitting behind that drum set. And that was really what it was about to me, you know, was, uh, <laughs> being where you too had been. <laughs> you know, never mind Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and all that stuff. You know, Bono was here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so I also had a chance to talk to, uh, for a little while, uh, Susan Silver, who was the manager for Soundgarden. And uh, that was an interesting conversation. It was pretty cool. And I remember um, somebody in the crowd, while I was talking to her, had made a joke uh, within earshot of her about uh, Kurt Cobain killing himself. And uh, she reacted like... Like the conversation we were having broke and she turned around and just started reading this guy, the riot act, you know, and, uh, I don't know why, but that's one of those things that just stays in my memory, you know, not the conversation that her and I had, but the fact that she turned around and, you know, reprimanded this guy in front of everybody. I mean, she was grieving his loss, you know, she wasn't a fan. She was a a friend of his. So yeah. Crossroads was really, uh, it was a good experience. It wasn't as big of a a function as South by Southwest, but it had the same kind of energy. And uh, I definitely got a lot of results from going to both. And I I certainly got a lot of results from going to New York City, too. But that leads me to the next part of the story. So, um... Uh, I think I'll stop there for this episode, and I'll, I'll pick it up in the next. Um, I hope you've enjoyed my rambling, and if not, sorry about that. Um, but for now, this is Mike Bostwick from Pipe Choir Records signing off. And remember, folks, if you want to keep what you've got, you've got to give it away. Take it easy.